0: Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskaden. Let's get started. All right. Uh, Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Thank you for joining us here on the Just to Know You podcast. And we have with us Mr. Adrian Hokewe. He's a torontonian all right that's a word that he has taught me today a torontonian by birth he's been a part of saes for uh four years and i had the pleasure of really getting to know him a little better on the football field Then not know whether or not i should be welcoming or scared
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: we have mr adrian oakley
1: what's going on darian thanks for having me
0: oh man thanks so much Uh, for being here. Um, Adrian Hokewee. Hokewee, I haven't really heard that um, surname a lot. Where does that come from?
1: Well, I want to first thank you for pronouncing it correctly. I feel like everybody that I, I, the first, when I meet people, the first thing that I I kind of have to do is give them, uh, provide them with an education around how to pronounce my last name. Um, so it's uh, Ho Kui. Um, the correct spelling, believe it or not, is actually H-O space capital Q-U-E-E. Uh, so there's a space between the the, the Ho and the Kui. Um, it's actually Chinese. My, my great grandfather on my mom's side is Chinese. Um, and he migrated to uh, Jamaica from uh, China. And that's where my grandfather was born. My mom was born. And then shortly thereafter, she migrated to Toronto. And that's where I was born.
0: Is there any reason behind the migrations or was it just moving?
1: Just moving. You know, her her mother um, moved to Toronto. There's a, there's a huge West Indian population in Toronto. So, you know, a lot of West Indians either, you know, migrate to like, you know, I think of the kind of the hotspots being the, the Miami area, the New York area and Toronto. There's a huge West Indian population. So if I had to like, it's so tough now when I'm like, when I'm answering the question of where I'm from, because it's like, I'm West Indian by parentage, right? I'm Torontonian by birth. I'm a New Yorker by transplant. We'll get there eventually. (laughs) Uh, I'm a Bostonian by education and occupation. That's where I like first started to work. My wife jokes, I'm a Midwesterner by marriage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about growing up in Toronto.
1: Yeah, no, I I have fond memories of my like experience, kind of growing up in, in in Toronto. It was incredibly diverse. It actually reminds me a lot of like you know my my classes here at SCES. Uh Just a diverse population of young uh, of, of of young people. I grew up like in all of my classes, there were students from Pakistan, Sri Lanka, China, uh, Brazil. Um, it was. You know, oftentimes they talk about places like New York being like a melting pot. But even within New York, it feels really segregated at times. But in Toronto, it was definitely everywhere you looked. like when I would go outside and play on my block. I was playing like many of my friends, again, were Indian and from China. My best friend was from China growing up. So it was a really diverse experience growing up. I miss the weather growing up around the snow, you know, just it it takes me to move to Saudi Arabia to miss the cold. But, um, you know, we just just fond memories of like, you know, going sledding and skating and pulling out the hockey stick and, you know, getting on the on the ice. But yeah, I grew up in Toronto. It was my mother and my brother and I. Um, my brother is a year and a half older than me. I'm the second of uh, four siblings, uh, but there's actually a 15-year difference between me and my sister, um, and then a 20-year difference between me and my youngest brother. Um, <laughs> so uh, my mom, yeah, she uh, she took a bit of a break, uh, but she started early. It was just the the three of us in Toronto, and she's a single parent. Ah, uh, raising raising two, you know, brazen uh, boys, and you know, just doing everything that she can to provide for us, and just really good memories of childhood. Like we were, we didn't have everything we wanted, but we had everything that we needed. She worked really hard to kind of instill us with the values of, like, you know, just hard work and and sacrifice and and uh, compassion. And you know, she she was playing the role of mom and dad. So I I think around the age of thirteen, I think it was eighth grade. Uh, My mom met my stepfather at Carabana. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Carabana, but it's the largest West Indian festival in North America. So that happens every year, the first weekend in August. And my stepfather, he had like, I think he was on a guy's trip out into Toronto and met my mom. And shortly thereafter, they got married and we then moved to New York.
0: Tell me about New York. How was your experience and how was the transitioning to New York?
1: Man, it was tough it was so tough it was toronto was the only place that, like that i that i had called home so it was a big move It was leaving all of my friends my family but then going to new york it was tough it was that you know hustle and bustle kind of lifestyle i remember kind of my first like day of school you know if you're walking and you trip and you tripped in, in Toronto somebody would be like oh hey you okay and then i remember tripping and some and like people laughing you know so you're just like wow okay like this is kind of a different environment and it was just like we were in a tough neighborhood in brooklyn and you know it was it wasn't it was pretty common to kind of see like violence and certain things happening in the streets and and so it just kind of like it was it was it was there was some culture shock definitely and it was it was a rough transition i think as a result I definitely turned inward. I I definitely spent a little bit more time, kind of inside, kind of, and I, and I think because of that, I really kind of focused on my education. I was really slow to make friends at first, but yeah, I I kind of look back at that experience, and I felt like I look back at at it favorably. I feel like it's really kind of helped me to grow up. I met some really great people. I have some really great friends who have been like lifelong friends uh, from Brooklyn, who I still keep in contact with. And I still go back to visit every now and again, but yeah, it really helped me to kind of grow up like pretty quickly
0: from New York. So Toronto,
1: from Toronto to Boston, uh, from Toronto to New York. And then I finished middle school and finished high school in, 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 in New York. I was in a, um, Thankfully, I was I was zoned. So the way that it works out in in New York is that you're you go to whatever high school you're zoned in uh, you're zoned or you live near, and uh, and then they have exam high schools that you'll take an assessment to place into. And I was uh, thankfully I was I was zoned at one of the exam high schools in Brooklyn. So it was one of the better high schools. So I didn't have to take the exam to get into the high school. My freshman year, I remember my mom just, you know, sitting me down and talking to me about like, you know, there's three different tracks at this school. Like there's a collegiate program where you take like, like general classes and then there's like uh, humanities and there's a medical science program. And these are like enrichment honors programs, but you need to like, you know, have a certain grade point average to get into these programs. And I think it was like a 95%. Historically, I was a bit of a class clown in Toronto and I didn't really work hard at school. And I was just kind of like, oh, mom, like, I don't know if that's gonna happen. That sounds great, and you know, uh, she just you know kept encouraging me and just holding me accountable. And I worked really hard my freshman year, and I was able to get myself into the uh, medical science program. So after that, you know, all of my classes were like I was in the gifted program, and it was a great experience. The sad thing was that you know my freshman year in the quote unquote regular classes, I saw people who looked like me, and then when I got into the honors program, I was the only I was the only black person in the class. Right. So it was uh, it was like two different worlds like in, in, within the same school. But it was, you know, provided me with the right amount of challenge. And I worked really hard and I graduated and then made the decision to go to Boston for school.
0: Uh, and what what uh, influenced your decision to pursue school in Boston?
1: At the time, uh, I feel like, like you know, similarly to like, you know, a lot of young boys. I I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be like a professional basketball player. I think I started out as like a baseball player. And then I wanted to be a basketball player. And then I was like, all right, well, uh, if I don't, my mom's always talking about a backup plan. So I was just like, all right, well, I'll be a doctor. And then I was just like, I was doing a lot of research. And I said, well, all right, there's this thing called sports medicine. And it's kind of merging uh, the best of both worlds. So you can kind of, you know, whether it's physical therapy, athletic training, you know, it's it's the whole, you know, the the, the medicine with, with the sports. And I, and I decided I wanted to go into physical therapy, but I wanted to, the goal was to be a physical therapist for a professional basketball team. So I just looked into schools that had a uh, physical therapy program in Boston. BU had a pretty competitive program. I think I also applied to UConn and to the University of Miami and a bunch of other schools. I just ended up deciding on going to Boston. My uncle at the time lived in Boston, and I'd been there a few times. And it was, you know, I definitely wanted to get out of New York, but I wanted to be relatively close to home. And it's only four hours away. So I ended up making the decision to go there. So I was admitted into a six-year doctorate program for physical therapy and it was a combined program with athletic training. I know a lot of people, when you think of athletic training, it's a bit of a misnomer because people think that you're training uh, athletes, but you are actually, you're the guys wearing the khakis and the fanny packs and running onto the field when a person (laughs) gets hurt and you're doing the taping the ankles before the games, you know? So uh, people think that like you're actually training them and that's part of it, but that's like, a, a fraction of what you do. but yeah I was in, admitted into a doctor program for physical therapy, a dual program with athletic training so it was a seven year program went to Boston had an amazing uh, amazing experience there met a lot of great people. I was heavily involved on campus so I was like an RA I was a student advisor student ambassador for orientation. you know I enjoyed my classes there I really enla- I really enjoyed kind of the challenge with all the different sciences and what I appreciated about the athletic training program is that there was a clinical uh, portion to the uh, program where each trimester you'd be assigned a team so uh, you'd have a certain amount of hours that you would have to like commit and so I think my first year I was assigned with like women's ice hockey so after class I'm going to Practice to meet. uh, To meet, uh, uh, I'm going to the women's ice hockey practice, and I am shadowing an athletic trainer. So I'm there. I'm taping ankles. I'm at the games, and I am kind of the apprentice to an, an athletic trainer, a certified athletic trainer. So that happened pretty much every trimester that I was in school. So I had different, different kind of rotations. Uh, I think my most favorite was working with the men's basketball team my senior year. I worked with them for a whole year. So you travel, you go to the games. Um, so you're you're trying to balance that in school. But it was an amazing experience.
0: And it seems like it, it puts you back into your realm of being with diverse people because for sure, yeah, you know, the people groups that may not normally mesh on campus, you got to be a fly on the wall at every uh in every single organization that's really exactly really
1: neat, exactly I, I think even just being an ambassador for orientation and meeting the new students who were coming each year that were starting in the fall it was just a great opportunity to just interact with students and parents and students and kind of show them the way and answer questions and make sure they're ready to get the year started and then working with athletes you know that was this, an amazing experience because a lot of them are coming from all over the world as well. And then being a uh, RA, you know, living in a dorm and managing that part and just interacting with the people that lived in my uh, building and uh, developing relationships with them. So just uh, I, I look back at my experience at BU and just Boston in general. Boston was really good to me, even after... So I'm sure, like the next question is like, well, why aren't you a started? Why aren't you an athletic trainer or physical therapist? We we're gonna right? get there. So,
0: you <laughs> know, the, the journey. I was wondering how you right. get to teaching in Saudi Arabia, but exactly,
1: exactly. So you know, as much as I enjoyed the experience of of being an athletic trainer and being around athletes, there was definitely something that was still missing for me, and it wasn't. I, 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 every, like, I, it was sometime around my senior year where I was like, this is fun but I just couldn't see myself doing this forever. And I just, I just, like something was missing. I didn't really feel fulfilled by the work. And I had always worked with young people. Like when I was in high school, I worked at an after-school program. I tutored all the time. When I was in college, I mentored uh, with this organization called like Straight Ahead Ministries. And they, their, their job was, they really like, uh, their job was to help and support young people who were kind of getting out of jail and and trying to kind of acclimate themselves back to society and getting back into school. And I worked and I mentored with that, with that uh, organization and I tutored and I was in schools and I was volunteering and I just felt more fulfilled from that work. But I still was shying away from going into teaching because I always looked at teaching as the things that the thing that people kind of fall into when they're not good at anything else, sadly, and that's just being honest. Like that's how I looked at teaching at first when I was in my twenties, like, and then, and then I was like, you know, the narrative out there, teachers don't make any money. That also played a role because you know I'm I I want to make sure that you know I can give back to you know I have a well paying job so I can give back to my mom who sacrificed so much for us growing up. So uh-huh. I'd always shied away from it, but then, you know, I said I'll take some time. I ended up graduating with my bachelor's in athletic training and I took some time off to just kind of figure out what was next. And, you know, I just found myself like over time, just organically, I was going into cl- cl- uh, one of my fraternity brothers. He was a teacher, a science teacher. I, I went into his class and I was helping out over there. I was working at a uh, a program called upward bound i don't know if you've heard about up- yeah upward bound i was working with them and I, I was working with them during the academic year but also during the summer which was an amazing experience and then over time i just was like like i love i love developing and connecting with young people and but i just had grown tired of being like an ancillary part of their development i, t- I like i felt like i was on the outside looking in and i was like how do i have like a greater impact in their lives and 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 then I found my way into teaching. Yeah. I was like, I got to get into the classroom. And, you know, they spent, teachers spend like, you know, s- six hours a day with students. And I was like, here's where I can really like, you know, have an impact and, and kind of feel my boat move, if you will. So, yeah.
0: Uh, and so how do you get from uh, being at BU to, you know, uh, becoming a teacher?
1: Yeah. So, um. I think I took like a couple years off while I was like, you know, I, after graduating with my bath, bachelor's in athletic training, I didn't work a day as an athletic trainer. I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I kind of put all my uh, energy and efforts into kind of figuring out what was next. And once I did, I ended up applying to just, you know, a bunch of grad schools in the area. I ended up applying to like Boston College, I think UMass and Harvard. And then I was accepted into uh, Harvard. I ended up uh, uh, accepting the offer to go to Harvard for grad school. So they had an urban education program there.
0: How was the Harvard as an education? It's a renowned institution. Yeah. Give us the insight of uh, (laughs) a Harvard
1: grad. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because... When I think back to my experience at Harvard, if I'm being like 100% honest, it was a really tough experience. Like, Darian, I was dealing with, like, shortly after, the moment I got my acceptance, I remember I think I was tutoring a young, a young person at the time, and I remember just kind of running off and, like, calling all of my friends, and, like, I was so amped up. And then, like, moments after that, that, like, elation, like, shifted into, like, imposter syndrome, like, times a 100, you know what I mean? So this and this wasn't something that stayed with me for a night, Darian. This was something that literally stayed with me my entire experience at Harvard. It was something that I would it would those feelings I of inadequacy and self-doubt. I took to my first class. I took to all the classes thereafter. And like the load, it was pretty over time. It just became harder to carry you know, I graduated and things where were things worked out well. And, you know, even along the way, I got really positive feedback from all of my teachers, but I was really in my head. And it was kind of like a defining moment. I look back at that experience and I think, you know, I'm 12 years removed from grad school. And those same kind of feelings, those knots in my stomach that I felt when I was at Harvard or those feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt, they still are with me today. The only difference is that, like, the, my experience at Harvard was kind of like my awakening. It was the first time in which I was like consciously aware of the negative narrative that was playing in my head. And I couldn't use kind of like my savvy or my intellect to kind of work around it. I had to face it head on. And I had to kind of come up with coping strategies and ways to just kind of like sit with those feelings. So today, it's kind of a daily practice of me kind of reminding myself that I'm a capable human being, that despite some of the anxieties that I experience with new opportunities and new challenges, that I have what it takes. But that was like, it was a really defining moment in my life, and one in which I'm thankful for um, because I felt like it was the moment in which I kind of began to get to know, like well, who Adrian is or who I am.
0: Huh. And where do you think the negative narrative uh, was derived from?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think I think part of it was just me drinking the Kool Aid. You know, because Harvard is like, oh, you know, you grow up. Harvard is like the pinnacle, right? right. And so, <laughs> yeah. and then part of it was just, I think. I, if I had to say, I, I would probably, I'd probably attribute it to the fact that I, I I could have been challenged a little bit more growing up, put in situations that forced me to kind of reach beyond my grasp and really stretch myself academically and emotionally. And I feel like that was really like, that was like the first time in my life where I not only was like drinking the Kool-Aid about what that experience would be like, but I was beginning to like question myself whether or not like I measured up. And I hadn't been in any other spaces where I questioned myself in that way. You know, everything worked out in the end. And I I kind of, I'm really thankful for that experience because I, I feel like I, I learned a lot about myself.
0: Huh. I wonder, um, I think there was a point where, I think there is a point where you kind of realize that it's not that people are naturally smarter than you, right? You know, it's just right. the, the work that you put in.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and it taught me a lot about kind of like, you know, preparation and just kind of like, I just needed to work a little bit hard. I had to work a little harder and I needed to invest time and things came to me like relatively easy. I didn't have to study that hard. I didn't have to do things when I was in college. I didn't, I, I worked hard, but I just didn't have to, like, push myself to the max in that way. And when I got to Harvard, I, I definitely needed to apply myself in a different way. And things worked out really well. I got really positive feedback along the way. But even in, like, in spite of that, it just didn't do anything for kind of how I was feeling at the time, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like such is life. And, again, it was really a defining moment for me, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Shortly thereafter, I ended up, uh, you know, I went to, when I was in, uh, at Harvard, you know, everybody thought that, like, I was kind of debating whether or not I wanted to teach science or I wanted to teach math. And a lot of my coursework in, under, in undergrad, you know, I had a lot of, like, biologies, biochemistries, physics. So, everyone was kind of pushing me the, in the direction of teaching science. So, shortly after graduating, I ended up taking a job in the uh, Dorchester area of Boston at a pilot middle school. And... Um, I taught science there for 5 years. That was my first teaching job. Just to give you a kind of sense of what the school is like. It's like, you know, 100% free or reduced lunch, like 98% black and Hispanic. Yeah, it was it was an amazing experience, an incredible experience. It was fun, it was hard. It was at times heartwarming and at times heartbreaking. It was it was the experience that I needed. Because at 26, 25, I, would, I just, you know, I was really eager and and I had a lot of energy and I and, you know, wanted to make a difference. And, you know, I was sitting there on the couch with my laptop. It's pretty common for me to be sitting there, you know, till 10, 11 p.m. each night, either grading or preparing for the next day. And that was just normal, you know. So yeah. I was staying at work <laughs> yeah. until four or five, six o'clock. It was just like what we did you know and all of my a lot of my uh, classmates who I taught with or I, who I, my peers at Harvard went a couple of them went over to that same school that I was at so it's just kind of like what we did but it was a really awesome opportunity. I learned a lot about myself met a lot of great people and you know just, developed relationships with kids that I'll just, you know, cherish forever. A lot of them will message me on Facebook and reach out and really? makes me feel kind of old because <laughs> you know, some of them are like 20, what is it? Goodness. Like I've been teaching for 12 years, so they're like 25, 26. Some of them, have, you know, finished their grad programs, they're reaching out, they have kids and I'm like, "Goodness, I remember when you were sitting in my 7th grade science class." It was it was awesome um just, you know, starting out in Boston and uh it, it 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 was an easy transition because I, you know I went there for undergrad, so I was familiar with the area. You know, did grad school there, so it was it was kind of nice to kind of give back to the community in which I had kind of like had given me so much.
0: It seems like you go from diverse to less diverse to more diverse to less. You know, because now now you're in a place in Saudi Arabia where you're on, you know, you're you're in a diverse place seemingly. Um, again, how do you? make the trish, the transition from i'm not sure if dorchester is inner city um, it but is for, inner city
1: it yeah, yeah. very much so yep. how,
0: how do you make the transition from dorchester or what happens in your life to move you from dorchester to saudi arabia
1: yeah, so in between there I ended up after 5 years of teaching science I'd made the decision that like hey as much as I enjoy science it wasn't really the subject that like turned me on and I was like all right I always loved math growing up and so I decided I was going to make the transition to math and at that time I felt like it was a really good like I wanted to give a shot in, like, and like try a different district I had a close friend who was a principal in the Cambridge Public Schools system and so I ended up uh teaching math for 2 years In Cambridge Public Schools, still Title I district, but uh, they had a lot of resources. I think at the time they were spending the most per pupil in the country. Um, So we were in a brand new kind of like state-of-the-art building and like there were a lot of resources. So that was interesting kind of going from Boston where we barely had textbooks and you could see that there was a huge kind of opportunity gap there. And then when you go over to Cambridge and there's an abundance of resources and it's still Title One, but you're seeing like now because we have these resources and we're able to kind of like, I was able to kind of feel my power a little bit more in the classroom. After two years in in, in Cambridge, my wife and I had just decided like, hey, you know, right now we're with, you know, without kids and we're just, it's just her and I, let's kind of give this, this uh, you know, teaching over abroad a shot. You know, after going through that process, we ended up in Saudi Arabia, and and I, and and it was a bit of a transition. I'm not gonna lie, like getting into a classroom, and you know, you're used to. When I was working in Boston, it felt like I was wearing so many hats when I was in the classroom, right? I was not only the teacher, but I was like at times the therapist. I was sometimes the the doctor. I was sometimes the you know, oftentimes looked at as the person that would be best equipped to give tough love because I'm the, I'm the black guy, I'm the black man. And I look just like, you know, the the kids who are in front of me. So I was looked at as the disciplinarian. And then going to Cambridge, it, it, I started to kind of, I felt like I was kind of making a transition where I was just allowed, I, I had the space to kind of focus on teaching and focus on my craft. And uh, there weren't the same kind of hills that I needed to climb. And then transitioning here, it took a while. At first, it took, it it was, it was, it was a completely different experience because I was meeting children who, you know, I would ask them where they're from and they're giving responses like me. They're like, you know, my dad's from here and like, but I'm from here and I lived here for two, you know? And, And so these third culture kids who are kind of like in a diverse setting and this is all that they've known. And, but one of the things that I really kind of appreciated is that you know this this kind of ecosystem that we are in kind of has provided them with the space to just kind of be children and just uh and 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 just to kind of focus on their education and focus on their sports and and they're not dealing with a lot of the other I don't know, the other stressors that some of the, the students were dealing back home. So that that was I felt like I could just focus on teaching and it was it was a necessary change. I think it was me kind of coming, me going from Boston to Cambridge and from Cambridge to Saudi Arabia, as much as it was me looking for a new experience, it was also me kind of putting myself first because I had kind of been burnt out over time working in in, in the Boston public school systems and and working in these high need districts, I, I was, I was uh, kind of you know debating if I still even wanted to be a teacher because I just had put so much energy in. And as much as it, you know, you you have your victories and and you 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 know you hear back from students every now and again. That's kind of at times it felt like it was few and far between. And so I just no kn- knew that I needed to put myself first. And and so yeah, here here I am.
0: You know, I think it's interesting because it's it's a plight that. Um, many may not understand, um, and maybe some do, but as a black male, it's almost like you can't go pursue anything until you go back. Cause I, I did the same thing, you know, right, you go right. back, <laughs> you teach him to, you know, a low SES district. You got to yeah, go yeah. there. Um, I'm not sure if it's like earning your clout or whatever, but I, I, not until I got here that I realized that not everyone feels that pool. We don't necessarily have to, it's not a have to. Right, you know what I mean. It's um, not a you, have to. You feel yeah. the pull to do it, and, right? And, and you do it, and it it kind of feels a certain section in your soul.
1: It's tough because because as a bla- once you make the decision as a black male to go into education, like there's very few of us, right? So they're already like we know where to put you. You're gonna be. We want to put you here, right? And we need you're gonna have such a like an amazing impact with these young people, and it's really easy. Like I firmly believe that if you're not you know, my dad always says that if you're not kind of aware of your own agenda, you'll become somebody else's agenda. And, and you and so I, I, I believe that, like, you know, there's this huge push. And, and for me, I, I got into education because I did want to have a greater impact in in the in the lives of black and, black and brown, poor black and brown children. Like, that was it. Like, I wanted to make an impact. And then over time, I was just like, okay, now I've given so much. And, and, and I just felt like, I didn't have a, like you know anything really left for me and like so like I knew over time this wouldn't be sustainable so I was d- debating do I still want to teach and then I was like no I really enjoy teaching but it just has to happen in a different environment and and even you know today I don't know if you'd call it survivor's guilt but sometimes I sit here in Saudi Arabia and that there's a tremendous amount of guilt that I I feel because I'll look in some of my classmates and some of the people I taught with are still teaching back in in in, in Boston and and, you know, for a while, I was just like, well, what's wrong with me? And why am I not? Why couldn't I stick it out? But ultimately, you know, I did I did what I felt like, you know, was best for me. And, you know, I, I've, mentally, I feel that much better. And I think overall, it's just been a great experience for me and my family. And, a, and it'll be an amazing experience for my kids growing up here.
0: You know, it's interesting because oftentimes, I think we get pulled into a monolith. Um, but from listening to your story, your story is just as much connected to being an international, multicultural individual right, as it is to being, you know, a part of uh, black culture as well. Exactly. You know, when you talk about your origins, it's very diverse, you know? And so, you know, because I have survivor's guilt or, you know, guilt from as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I want to explore different parts of myself, you know, I, I I have no problem exploring, you know, inner city and loved every part of it, you know, and, and, you know, give every piece of myself to that. But I also want to explore some of these diverse angles and, you know, looking at your, your heritage and where family comes from, you know, it's, and it can be quite difficult to explore the various spectrum of exactly. who you are if you're in specific environments
1: well said well said I I think this journey you know I've learned so much about myself and like you said I wouldn't necessarily have the mental space the resources to be able to do that if I was still back home and and so yeah I'm just really grateful for the opportunity I'm happy that my that my wife was down to give it a shot and yeah, it's uh it's been a fun ride and I'm just even more excited for my children to grow up in an environment that's really kind of mirrors the environment that I experienced when I was in Toronto. They'll come home and they'll talk about, you know, their friends, they're at daycare right now and they're like, you know, they have friends who, you know, are Arab friends, they have friends whose parents are from the states, they have some friends whose parents are Canadian. You know, it's just it's been kind of I I I really I really just appreciate kind of the life that we are, are being able to provide them with this experience working here.
0: Mr. Uh, Hokey, I know you have to go, um, but I, I want to ask you one question.
1: Yes. Okay,
0: and then we'll <laughs> head on out. So, okay. So, you have to give your children. Your yes. children. Um, and you have twins.
1: I Ooh. do have twins. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> Man, you know, I have a funny. I have twins, and I did not. Ex- I did not even go into this game of like, you know, because like I, you know, we wanted kids, and but I never thought twins would even be possible, like at all. So I have a funny story about that. But I know we're running out of time, so uh, go ahead and ask your man, question.
0: You, you're more potent than you know you are, All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> man, so Darian, let me tell you this. My my wife, it was about a hundred percent certainty that we were going to have twins, but I didn't find that out until the doctor. Uh, walked into the room during the ultrasound and said, hey, do you notice anything special here? So every grandchild on my wife's side, on my wife's mother's side of the family uh, has a set of twins. Every? Every grandchild. What? (laughs) Every grandchild. So her grandmother was a twin, and they say it skips generations. Every grandchild has a set of twins, like gave birth to a set of twins.
0: That's on her mother's. That's something you bring up on the first date. I need to know.
1: <laughs> right, right. So then I'm all here. We're getting ready to on board. Our our paperwork was taking a while to, for Saudi Arabia. We decided, all right, we're going to go out to Las Vegas. We, you know, we had got rid of all of our stuff. We're hanging out at my parents' house. We go out to Las Vegas, Darian. And what happened in Vegas? Didn't stay in Vegas. They're running <laughs> around. They're running around in my house right now. Like they, they're. They're three and a half running around in my house. (laughs) So, so yeah, but I, I, am sorry, man. What was the question? All
0: right. My last, last question. All right. So I loved your, I loved your father saying, if you don't know your own agenda, you'll become a part of someone else's. Yeah. You have one saying. That you can leave with your kids. You're going to leave them with a wealth of knowledge, you know, just by talking to you. I know you're going to leave them with a wealth of stuff. But one thing, this podcast, they're going to listen to this far beyond your years. And you have one thing that you want to leave to your twins that they can carry with them forever. What do you say? to
1: you? Oh, wow. That's deep. Pause
0: for dramatic effect.
1: <laughs> 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 wow. If I had to say anything to them, I would tell them to grab hold, grab hold to their inner child and to never let go. Mm -hmm. I think about what being a father has taught me and like my kids, they've just like reminded me about so much about acceptance and have reminded me about how important it is to express your emotions because kids will just tell you how they feel like they live in the moment they find joy in like the simple pleasures, they're curious, they're fearless. So I would tell them to kind of like hold on to their inner child, because I think that over time, whether it's life, schools, institutions, whatever, I think over time, like we we lose that inner child and we're we're not as curious and we're not living in the moment. We're worried about, I spend so much time trying to just stay in the present. Like I have to consciously remind myself to remain in the present. And so I would tell them to grab hold to their inner child and to never let go.
0: I tell you, Adrian, hokey, hokey, ho
1: hokey, man, hokey. Uh, Adrian, <laughs> hokey. <ho-quee. laughs>
0: it has been truly a pleasure. Um, I feel like I know you a little bit better, not just when you're talking trash, On the football field.
1: Oh, man. I I talk trash knowing that there are very few times I have to line up against you. You know? So so that's why I talk my trash. Because I know that, like, if I had to line up against you, I probably wouldn't be saying anything (laughs) to you.
0: Well, it has been awesome, sir. Um, And thank you so much uh, for your time. And we are thankful for the opportunity just to know you.
1: Uh, Thanks, Darian.
0: Thank you for listening to Just to Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.